0: Um, guys, we're going to get right to work. Um, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. We're starting a brand new series called No Doubt. And, um, what we're, we're, what our agenda is in this series is to expose a sort of, uh, a taboo thing to talk about within our circles. And it's the doubt that we deal with. Doubt in following Christ, doubt in believing that Christ is who He says He is, doubt in addressing um, some of the fears that we have if Christ doesn't come and save the day. Um, so we're going to spend around three or four weeks uh, in this series. And my prayer is is that you would show up to every week. Now listen, laundry is important, so do it on Saturday. Okay? (laughs) Grocery shopping is important. Do it on Saturday. All the other things that will keep you away from coming to the series, because here's what's going to happen. This is what I know about every single one of us. You're going to struggle with doubt. You're going to struggle with doubt. I struggle with doubt. You're going to struggle with doubt. And the question isn't whether or not you're going to struggle without. The question is, how are you going to struggle without? And it's to this question that we're going to give ourselves for the next three or four weeks. So would you just commit in your heart? I got to come to this series. This is one of those series I got to come. I'm going to invite a friend, and and we're just going to do it, okay? So I'm going to pray for you, and then we can get right to work. Amen? Let's do it. Father, you are a good and holy God. One who is reverent, awesome, powerful, sovereign, and in complete and utter control. And so, Lord, we uh, we come before you as a people who don't see you as great as you really are and are anxious to. So open our eyes, Lord. Open the eyes of our heart. Open our minds. Free us from the bondage of our sufferings and our pains. Free us from the bondage of our hang-ups and our addictions. Free us from the bondage of all that holds us back from seeing You as glorious King and God. And so, Lord, move in a powerful way. Lord, Lord, I pray for suffering grace for those people in Oklahoma who are suffering. How much doubt must be exploding. Doubt about Your goodness. Doubt about your ability to control. Doubt about your ability to help them to endure great tragedies. Lord, I pray that you bring those who were never in your family into your family and those who are in your family that you would strengthen their faith. I pray that you would use the body of Christ to not only financially support but physically support and emotionally support, relationally support all the while Faming the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you do a marvelous work. Um, and out of those ashes, you would, we would see beauty. Uh, and Lord, uh, as we've seen you do that in our own lives, we're confident that you could do that in theirs. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My first bout with doubt was when I just first started coming to... Uh, uh, sort of started to pursue this idea of walking with Christ. I wasn't born in a Christian household. I wasn't taught uh, Christian values. I wasn't... It just just wasn't a part of my upbringing. And so, when I was an adult... By the time I was about uh, 17 years old, I was an agnostic. By the time I was 20 years old, I was an atheist. Wanted nothing to do with God. thought people who thought people who were God people were crazy, were lunatics. Like, I put them up there with like 12-year-old kids who still believe in the tooth fairy. Right? I was like, that's nuts. And, um, but uh, through a series of circumstances, God started to open my heart. Here's what you know. You've never pursued God, but God has always pursued you. Well, I wasn't pursuing God at all. In fact, I was very happy living the life that I was living. I was pretty comfortable. And um, the lifestyle that I was living suited me. <laughs> Isn't that true? Your lifestyle suits you. Right? And so, uh, God interrupted my plans. And uh, He started to draw me to Himself. But then I started to look into the Bible and find ridiculous stories. Stories like parting of seas. And being spit out of fish and creation in six days and and all these things that I just found about resurrecting people coming here 's what I know when people die, they stay dead that 's a generality for all of time, and the idea of people being resurrected it just it was it was beyond credulity, and so I struggled. And so as I'm sort of pursuing God and sort of not pursuing God, God is pursuing me, drawing me to Himself, I find myself coming up with all these questions. I remember the first conversation I had about the doubts that I had was with Pastor Raymond, who you just heard today, pray for the offering. And uh, we were having a conversation. And uh, I, I came up and I said, "Wait, you really believe that... Jesus walked on water, they spit out of the fish, they, you know, you know, you, you really believe that, right? You really believe that, uh, and he goes, <laughs> he goes, hey, Edwin, if it doesn't apply, let it fly. <laughs> he goes, he went as far to say, this is true, he went as far to say, hey, Edwin, just take it out, just take it out. Like, in other words, just rip it out. If the page, if you don't agree with the page, just rip the page out of the Bible. I would have had like four pages in the whole Bible <laughs> if I would have taken that suggestion. We were both really, really super young in the Lord. But I, I bet you're like that too. I bet to some degree, to some degree, you're like that too. To some degree, you go, no, 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 no. God can't. God couldn't have really have done that. Really? Virgin birth? Come on. Virgin birth? Really? Resurrection from the dead? After three days? Like, I can understand after 20 minutes in 21st century technology, but after three days? Hmm. Or maybe your doubts are a little bit different. Maybe your doubts have to do with the circumstances of life. And you go... God, could you really resurrect this marriage? Could you really heal this relationship? God, could you see me through this illness? The doctors give bad news. God, could you help us with our finances? Because, man... Everything is going south. See, doubt comes to us in different forms. And it attacks us in different ways. But it's all the same thing. It all leads us to push away Jesus, embrace whatever the doubt is, and eventually, go our separate ways. Doubt kind of works like this. Doubt is like a cuddly doll. And so, what we do is we sort of romance the stone. We just kind of go, you know, yeah, God is not going to work for us. Why would God be on our side? Who, You know, is God real? Did Jesus really... Um, save me? Is it, and, you know, and we ask these questions. And it doesn't matter if they're theological or experiential. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're talking about the health situation or the sin situation. You know what I mean when sin situation? God, could I ever really be free from this? From this lifestyle? From these sexual deviancies? From this addiction? I'm going to oh, that can't happen. And so today, what we're going to find out is what we're going to do with our doubts. Because it's going to come, guys, listen to me, I love you. You're going to doubt. And here's what I know. If you don't deal with it well, you're going to stray from Christ. What? Listen to me. You know what's at stake for today's message? Just your soul. just your soul. And so I need you to listen. I need you to lean forward. I need you to shut off the phone. I need you to understand that this is maybe the most important talk you'll hear. So. The thing about doubt though is that shockingly enough God has a ton to say about it. You know what I love about the Bible? I used to doubt uh, doubt the Bible. And... Um, What I love about the Bible is that it doesn't tell us how we wish life could be. It tells us how life really is. And so God knows that every one of you are going to struggle with doubt. God knows that every one of us are going to deal with those dark nights of the soul where we're nurturing our doubt and our faith is atrophying. God knows that that's going to happen. And so as a result, He's given us His Word and shows us others who have doubted. And so for the next three or four weeks, we're going to be looking at people, heroes of the faith, people who did great things for God, and who yet struggled with these sorts of dark nights of the soul. So, as you opened up to your Bibles in Matthew chapter 11, if you're new... Listen, if you're new, we love how, I can't believe the day that you showed up on. If this is your first time here, woohoo! This is proof that God really exists because He has you here on a day that's going to address a lot of the questions that you struggle with. And if, listen to me, if you're new, you're like me. Uh, I'm so, I'm such a cynical person. I used to be, I, I don't think I'm cynical. Well, maybe I am, I don't know. Um, I'm cynical. I'm cynical about the fact that I'm cynical, right? Um, I don't know, maybe. Um, but um, I've struggled with doubt. And, and, and just so you know, I have doubts still. And my questions are better than yours. They are. I've been studying the Bible for years. I've read the Bible over 25 times. The questions that I have that can that are not answered are more profound than yours and more complex than yours. It's just I'm not trying to be arrogant about it. I'm just saying I've done more study than you and so there's a way to deal with doubt. And uh, it's to that we're going to give ourselves to in the next few weeks. Are you listen, would you just would you just make a commitment to come for the next 3 or 4 weeks? Would you do that? Just say I commit. Oh, that didn't sound convincing at all. All right. Would you just make a commitment? This is important. We're talking about your soul. All right. Just, I commit. commit. All right. All right. I believe you now. Um, uh, If you're new here, um, we think about you all the time. The leaders here think about you all the time. And so when I first came around to a church, the last thing I brought with me was a Bible. So um, inside your bulletin, there's an insert. It'll tell you exactly where we're going with the scriptures. And if, uh, yeah, if the font is too small, we're going to have the words on the screen. And so you can come. Now, one of the things that we do in this church, and I'm going to tell you the reason before I ask you to do it, is we stand for the reading of God's Word. We stand simply uh, for the same reason that uh, the Senate stands when the president walks in, um, uh, soldiers stand when a prince walks in. It, there is such respect and there is such reverence uh for the position. In our case it's the word. So God's word is going to be read. So in to that end we will stand in reverence of God's word. We'll all read together in a nice loud voice. One, two, three. After Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, Those who have leprosy are cleansed, and deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. May God bless the hearing, reading, and doing of His Word. Let me give you a little background. John, John the Baptist. Anybody here? Has, has anybody here ever heard of John the Baptist? Okay, a few of us, right? John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. That means he was the one who was to come before Jesus, proclaiming the way of the Lord. He was preparing the hearts of the people so that they could receive Jesus. John does this in a miraculous way. In fact, he has what you and I would call a rock star ministry. He gets to the point where kings are listening to what he has to say. He's got droves of people following him. He has a very popular ministry. John, before this ministry starts, if we could backtrack a little bit. John, while he was in his mother, mother Elizabeth's belly. And Mary came by and told Elizabeth that she was pregnant. John leapt in his mother's womb. That's what the Bible says. John leapt. Imagine, like, pre-birth, right? Still in the womb, celebrating that Jesus Christ is Lord. Wow. John, later on, Points Jesus out and says, That guy is going to take the way of the sins of the world to his whole crowd. John then tells a bunch of the guys who are following him, he says, Don't follow me, follow Jesus, actually sends them away to Jesus. And then John, when Jesus comes to get baptized, symbolic for us, John literally says, I'm not worthy of baptizing you. This guy is a heavyweight of the faith. This guy, listen to me, this guy knows Jesus. Before Jesus is crucified, Is calling him the one who we've been waiting for. This is a guy... Who's not only full of faith, but living it out in the most passionate way you can imagine. But, move forward. As John proclaims his ministry and as he goes forward in his ministry, he goes too far. At least for the kings or the emperors or the rulers of that day. And he tells the ruler of that day, it's not right what you're doing. Well, Herod doesn't like that at all. Herod's the uh, ruler of that day in that particular town. And he has him thrown into prison. And John is rotting in prison. Gone are the crowds. Gone is the prestige. Gone is the ability to do what God has called him to do. No longer is he able to do the very thing he thinks that God put him in this world to do. Everything has been taken from him. Bread and water would be a relief. He's being treated like garbage. Held against his will. Suffering in isolation. And completely isolated. From God's call. And it's at this point, in the low point, that he sends a message to Jesus through some of his followers. Let's look at the text. After Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Go to verse 2. When John, that's the guy I just told you about, who was in prison, hold on to that. Why do you think, there's no word, there's no throwaway lines in the Bible. You do understand that, right? There's no fluff in the Bible. You know how like you buy a Justin Timberlake album and you get like three hits and all the rest of them are just fillers, right? Or for some of you, it's like Frank Sinatra... Or, you know, others of y'all, is like Nas or Jay-Z or whatever it is. Um, There's no fluff in the Bible. None of that. Every word matters. Why would the Bible at this point, when John... Because it could just as easily... You take the two... You know what emotion is in those two commas? In between those two commas? Because it could just as easily be read, when John heard about the deeds of the Messiah... He sent his disciples, but that's not at all what it says, does it? It says when John was in prison. Why does that matter? It matters because where you are in life sometimes influences the reality of, or the intensity of your doubt. You know what doubt is? Here's what doubt is doubt is the distance between where you are and what you think God should be doing. That's what doubt is. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say this? So, say this edge is what you think God should be doing. Right? So, if I'm over here, little if no doubt. Right? This is what I think God should be doing. But if my life... Is over here. Lots of doubt. And the Bible wants to point out that your doubt will grow to the degree that there's a distance in your mind between where you are and what you think God should be doing. John is in prison. It's not going the way he thinks he should go. It's not happening the way he thinks it should happen. And doubt is creeping in. And listen to me. If it can happen to John, it can happen to you. If it can happen to John, it can happen to me. Don't think that any of us are not susceptible. Some of you are making decisions right now based on doubt because of the circumstances that you're in. I understand. Doctor comes in, says, cancer incurable, and you're just going, no, this is God's not real, God's not true, God's not. Some of you, your employees, your employers are not treating you as well as you wish they would. God's not real, God's not true. Some of you have been wrestling with singleness for such a long time. And you go, God, I really, really, really want someone to live the rest of my life. But this is not a bad, right? It's, this is certainly not a bad request. And yet you go, and doubt starts to creep in. Maybe God doesn't want anything to do with me. What do you do? Just go, maybe God doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Maybe God's not real. Maybe I'm here all alone. John's in prison. I don't know what it would say if it said, when Josefina, who was, when Daniel, who was, When Rodrigo, who was... I don't know. If it put your name in there, I don't know what it would say. But you know. And God wants you to take a minute to know that even in the darkest prison, He's with you. When John, who was in prison... Heard about the deeds of the Messiah. He sent his disciples. He sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Now this is a bizarre and crazy question. A couple of things. Remember what I said about John leaping in the womb, calling Jesus out, baptizing Him, sending His disciples towards Jesus. You go, John, we've settled this already. We've talked about this. You know this. In fact, you've been proclaiming this. You're the one who's the forerunner. This is a stupid question. You've given your life to this. This is your life's call. But negative circumstances have a way of overwhelming what you might know. Isn't it true? Isn't it true that difficult, difficult, I wonder if I'm the only one. I'm probably the only one. Thank you. As at least one person. Husband's not getting clean fast enough. It's torture. Wife's not turning around. Torture. Jobs not coming through. Torture. Health getting worse. Torture. Struggling with that sin. Torture. Don't have the kind of uh, network or friendships that you need to get through this time. Torture. Torture. Are you the one to come? Serving in a ministry for 20 years. Hey, Jesus, are you for real? I get it. I get it. Are you the one to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, stop right there. This is where we're going to spend... Most of our time. I need you to really listen up to where we're going right now. I want you to focus and I want you to pay attention. First thing I want you to see is that Jesus replied. The problem with our doubts is that, I've, and I've done this before. Have you ever had this conversation with somebody? And, and I've actually, uh, I went as far I'll tell you in a second. I was having this conversation with this kid who, this is a long time ago. This might be ten years ago. And uh, we were having a conversation and he had all these doubts. He goes, yeah, but what about this? And so I answered his question. And yeah, but what about this? And I answered that question. And yeah, but not, not that I'm a genius or anything. It's just questions were easy to answer. And we went through around five rounds of that. It took like two hours to go through the, like five rounds of that, right? And I finally got to the point, I said, well, I said, here, let's stop for a second. If I could prove to you, without a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus is who he says he is, he's Lord and was risen from the dead, if I could prove to you, without a shadow of a doubt, would you put your faith in Jesus right now? He thought about it for a second. And then was incredibly honest and told me no. And I, and I realized in that day that it's not that people can't believe. It's that people won't believe. Because there's enough evidence. I could take you through a process. So here's what people do. The devil loves to build doubt by focusing on the doubt. For instance, your circumstance. And so what you do is you just focus on your circumstance. You focus on the issues that you're going through. You focus on the pain that you're going through. Or maybe it's a theological doubt. Now, we're going to get to those in the coming weeks. So I'm not going to spend too much time on Today we're talking about doubt with our when dealing with difficult circumstances. But... The devil, what he loves to do is he loves to give us questions and have no intention of giving us answers. So like, for instance, when somebody goes to me and they've gone through a tragedy and they go, but where is God in all this? Where is God in all this? My first response is to go, please tell me, where is God in all this? Answer the question. Is he in the bathroom? Has he gone on vacation? You answer the question. Because it's what, listen, doubt grows with unanswered questions. Doubt grows. But here's what we're going to discover today and and what we're discovering right now. Jesus replied. What I'm about to give you is the whole point of today's sermon. The whole point. You could leave after I say this statement. This is the whole point of the sermon. When doubt creeps in, the temptation is to keep it on ourselves, is to keep the doubt to ourselves, focusing on the doubt. The solution the Bible teaches us is that when doubt comes in, To give our doubt to Jesus. To bring our doubt to the only one who could make sense of it all. Jesus replied, I just want to say something real quick. Jesus doesn't answer John's question. Is that horrible? I think that's horrible. I go, Jesus, it was a very simple question. Yes. That was the right answer. You know why? Because Jesus realizes this is not an intellectual conversation. There's something deeper going on here. And he's going to do something that blows your mind. Jesus is going to go to the heart of the heart of the thing. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John What you have heard, what you hear, and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. You know what's rough about that? First, of course, Jesus doesn't answer his question, he just goes, He just throws the question back to them, which is what I told you I do with others. I go, you answer the question. Because when, when you're struggling with doubt, if you put your focus on the doubt, your doubt will grow. And if you put your focus on Jesus, your faith will grow. And so he goes, look! Look at all I'm doing! Look at me. Look at all that's being done. You're focusing on your finances. You're focusing on your health. You're focusing on your circumstances. You're focusing on your relationship. You're focusing... Stop! Look at me. Look at me. No different. No different than when um, I'm... uh, teaching my children. Uh, it was terrible. It took me three days to teach. Everybody owes their firstborn an apology, right? It's terrible. It took me three days, three days to teach my son how to ride a bicycle. It took my last order 30 seconds because I had figured some things out by then, right? And what I realized is if I could point the problem with them falling down on the bicycle, was that when they ride their bicycle, they're looking at the floor. And for as long as they're looking at where they're at, they'll they'll fall and stumble. That's what it's like to grow in faith and deal with doubt. When you look at where you're at, you can't help but fall. Because it just changes so quickly. So what I started to do by the time I got to the last kid, I said, you see that tree way over on the other side of the park? I said, I need you to look at that tree. Aim for the tree. Just aim for the tree. And they would just go. Just keep pedaling. Aim for the tree. I promise you won't fall. And that's what they did. So Jesus is saying, your problem, the reason that you're stumbling and you're falling in your faith, the reason that you're swerving and veering, the reason that you feel so afraid and unsure is because you're, listen, listen, listen. Lift up your eyes. There's a, there's something higher I want you to aim at. There's something higher I want you to see. There's something more beautiful I want you to focus on. It's not your doubt. It's your Savior. Tell them what you see! Tell them what you hear! And then Jesus says something that makes me cry. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. That, that's breathtaking. He goes to John, listen, the blind see The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed. Jesus tells him six things that are, five of which are um, prophesied about in the Old Testament. In other words, Jesus comes back to him with something he knows. The Old Testament. He says, now look at me. But you know what Jesus left out? Jesus left out the captives are set free. He intentionally left that out. The blind see, the lame walk, people are being healed from their diseases. Come on, tell me more. Tell me more. But He didn't say anything about the captives? He didn't say anything about my circumstance? I'm sorry, John. Could you imagine the conversation between his disciples? They come up to him. Here's what he said. The blind see. The lame walk. And he says all these other things. And he goes, wait, wait, wait. Did he say anything about the captives are set free? I'm sorry, John. He didn't say anything about that. Well, what else did he say? I don't want to say, John. You got to tell me. He goes, You're happy. if you don't stumble on what Jesus is not going to do. Blessed is the man who doesn't stumble on account of me. You know how people say things like... um, Being at the center of God's will is the safest place on earth. They lie. It's a total fabrication. Being in the center of God's will is like being a storm chaser in Oklahoma. It's the most dangerous place on earth. God never promised safety. He only promised that He would be with you to bear it. That he'd never leave you. God promised that suffering would happen. God promised that difficulty would arise. The blind see. The lame walk. And you're not going to get any you're not going to get any more healthier than you are now. And you'll be happy if you don't try to fit me in the box, Jesus says. But find your joy in me and not in your circumstance. The blind see, the lame walk, and I'm not going to fix your financial circumstance. But why, God? It seems so obvious that this is the thing to fix. There's something in you that I'm trying to do. There's something in the world that I'm trying to do that's bigger than you. The blind see and the lame walk. And I'm not going to change your depression. But why, God? If I could just get out of this bed, I would just, I would serve you. I would do everything. There's something bigger that I want to do in you than I could ever do through you. Happy. That's what blessed means. Happy is anyone who doesn't stumble in their faith because Jesus isn't performing the way they wish he would. Blind see, the lame walk, and I'm not changing your boss. But God, he's a crook. Blind see and the lame walk, and the kids are going to go through a lot more. But they're your kids. The blind see and the lame walk, and you're going to be homeless for a lot longer than you think. What are you doing? Miserable are the people who have Jesus as an employee miserable are the people. Let me tell you something. The happiest people in the world are slaves of Jesus. The most miserable people of the world are masters of Jesus. Blessed is the one. every one of us will struggle with doubt. Every one of us. I've told you this before, but it's worth telling again. If there's one circumstance in my whole life that I wish I could change, it would be having a healthy mom. My mom's been sick since I was about... ever since I can remember. Um... My mom is what you called the crazy woman in your neighborhood. That's my mom. Go outside, start singing at 3 o'clock in the morning at the top of her voice. You could hear her from three blocks down. Um, That's my mom. And I've always wanted different. I remember this one time, and again, you've heard this before, some of you. She got sick. I was away. It was a winter day. The uh, police got called. So I was running there so I could convince the police not to take my wife, uh, not to take my mom. And um, I wouldn't convince the police not to take my wife. No, I'm kidding. That's a bad joke. How bad was that, right? I love my wife. My wife's my best friend. My wife's my best friend. I love my wife. That was bad. OK. This is tougher than it looks, so um, It was winter time. I ran to her house. I'm not sure I had shoes on. It was a winter. And I got to the police, and there was no convincing them. But I went to her, and my mother was laying on the bed. I said, just hold it together. Just give me five minutes of holding it together. And it was, you know, it's, it's like, you know, it's like telling a tsunami to stop. You know, it's not stoppable. I said, hold it together for five minutes. And I was talking to her, and I was like, and it wasn't going to happen. I swore to her, I said, I promise you. You're not going to go into the insane asylum. Listen to me. The insane asylum. My mother doesn't go to the, uh, the hospitals where there are million-dollar doctors and it's safe for everyone. My mother goes to Rikers Island-like places where it, they're not safe. They're not safe. Would you let your mom go? to a place that's not safe to tell you the emotions that were going on inside of me I don't think I have a vocabulary to be able to do it so there she is eventually we get to the doctor the doctor says no she's erratic she's, you know." he tells her, her her ailments and I'm begging God God don't let this happen don't let this happen I'll take care of her. I'll watch out for her. And he says, you're going to go in. And then it was this horrible moment where I had to just lean over to my mom and just say, I'm sorry. I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't prevent you from going in there. There was actually a moment where I was going to pick up a chair and put it through their window so that they would put me in there as well. Um, And the Lord sort of restrained me from that. So at least I could be in there and protect her. And um, my mother pretended like she fainted because she knew what was in store. And then you hear that horrible sound. And the door opens, and they wheel her in, and the door locks. You know, I've never, I've never received the mom that I wanted, in terms of health. And God has never saw him fit in the last 40 years to change the circumstances. But what he's done is he's changed me. And um, I'm not sure I would ever ask. I'm not sure that I would ever ask for it again. Like, Mom, like, and every year, it seems like every year, you know, how it gets worse, you know? Every year you wish you had four years ago, like that. And the Lord said, here's an idea, Edwin. Rather than praying for four years ago, why don't you pretend it's four years from now and just rejoice in me? And so that's recent, and that's what God is starting to do in my own heart. But I bet you have your own circumstance that you wish you could change. You know what's going to happen to John in just a few, a short while? He's going to lose his head. This doesn't end well for Him. It doesn't always end well for Christians. And that's why our focus isn't on our circumstances. Our focus is on Jesus. So, for this week, for this year, whenever doubts creep in, that deal with circumstances. I want you to run to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Because there was another point in time where the circumstances looked bleak and dark, where nothing seemed to be going God's way. The Messiah had come from heaven to earth. He had healed, and He had loved, and He had proclaimed the good news. And they nailed Him to the cross after beating Him one stripe of His life. And towards the end, the Messiah quotes an Old Testament passage, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why has Thou forsaken me? So when you go through circumstances, you go, I don't get it, I don't understand that... Jesus goes, look at me, look at me, sweetie, sweetie, look at me, look at me. Stop looking at your circumstances. Stop taking your circumstances and romancing them, asking questions that you have no intentions of answering, living a life focused on the pain and the suffering of your present. What I want you to do is I don't want you to do that. I want you to bring your doubts to me. But my questions aren't answered. That's not the point. But he never said anything about the captives being set free. That's not the point. The point is that we would find our joy, satisfaction in Jesus. Marriage is gonna. Marriage is going down the tubes. My joy and satisfaction isn't Jesus. I don't live I don't live a ridiculous life going I'm ignoring these things. No. I go, let's go to marriage counseling, let's do that thing. But let me tell you something. If you don't change, he's changing me. Mom is sick and only getting worse. Listen. You're changing me because I'm, because he's giving me a vision for himself. That's my prayer for you. I pray for you. let's pray. Father Lord, you know where each one of us are. you know Lord, the person who came in here on their last leg, this is the last house on the block. And so father as we as the elders lead us in communion, Lord, I pray that you would touch the hearts of those that are here. As we remember the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, that we would be reminded that our focus is not to be on our circumstances, but our Savior. Lord, help us to think about this. Help us to be resting in You. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.